Good morning. So good to see everybody here this morning. Keep your children in here for just a little while longer. We're going to do a children's sermon today. Let's stand up and sing together. Our call to worship. this morning and all of our members that are that join us for this service not to try to sound like a telephone but you guys are what make this service possible the fact that we've got your support and you guys come and worship with us on Sunday mornings are what keep us going so we're very glad to see everyone here our first song this morning is called my praise it's like an ocean breeze blowing on your face that's what I want my praise to be let's sing together I wish I could praise you without a whimper to leave this wasteland. And I so long to sing you the song you deserve, it would be endless. I long to move your heart to bring you something new, to tell how great you are, tell my praise to you. It's 
everything I could give you already possessed. Lord, I'm so unworthy. I'm just one of the millions to stand and confess, and yet still you hear me. Your heart is open wide, you love for what I bring. I pray somehow you'll find this simple offering. It's like an ocean breeze. Oh 
good to see everybody. Good turnout this morning. There are refreshments in the back if you haven't been able to uh, get the Methodist communion yet. And uh, we didn't bring covered dishes this time. That's next time. But anyway, we, uh, we invite, we're glad to see you here. Turn and greet someone near you, and then we invite the children to also assemble here in the front for the children's time. to keep talking we'll get the grown-ups to be quiet okay we'll just keep going hey everybody is everybody having a good morning yeah good this morning I want to talk to you about something that's really hard to do sometimes okay sometimes it's really hard for us to remember to always say please and thank you is it hard for you to remember to do that Sometimes it's hard for Caroline, and sometimes it's even hard for mommies and daddies to remember to say please and thank you when they want us to do some things. And you know who we sometimes really forget to say please and thank you to? Even grown-ups forget to say please and thank you to Jesus sometimes. We need to make sure that when we ask Jesus for some things that we say, please, Lord. And when Jesus gives us some things, we need to make sure we say thank you. We have to be very grateful for what we get from our Lord. So we want to make sure it's very important for everyone to always say please and thank you to our parents and to our teachers, but especially to our Lord Jesus. Okay? This morning I want to practice everybody saying thank you. Okay? I want to practice. I'm going to give everybody a sucker, and I want you to practice saying thank you. Okay? When I hand you your sucker, will you say thank you? Okay. So, Carson, you go first. Thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. You go, Miss Caitlin. Your turn. Say thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. Good job. Here's your sucker. You're welcome. Yeah. Here's your sucker, baby. Thank you. You're welcome. Here you go, Landon. Eat them. You may eat them if your mommy says it's okay. Here's your sucker, Landon. Thank you. You're welcome. Morgan, do you want a sucker? I get so tickled looking at the children while we're singing up here. That's wonderful. I love the fact that they're here and that they uh, have a place they can boogie-woogie a little bit while we're, <clears throat> while we're singing. That's great. It's great to see everybody here. Glad that you're here today. Uh, glad that you chose to worship with us. And if you're visiting especially, that's such a, such a high honor that you um, chose us. We do hope that we make you feel at home and that we make you want to come back uh, to worship with us on future occasions. I want to recognize some folks uh, in membership uh, at this point. Uh, I want to welcome the Carpenters into our fellowship. Danielle and Brian, stand up, please. <clears throat> Danielle comes to us by way of Roman Catholic and Episcopal tradition, 
And um, uh, Brian comes to us through the Baptist tradition, so you know they had to go somewhere. <laughs> so we're just glad it was Methodist. And uh, uh, they are a month away, month away from becoming mommy and daddy. You don't have to be pregnant to join the church, but it is, uh, it is, uh, it's, uh, it's looking that way. That's right. It's, uh, it's an added benefit if you uh, can populate the nursery. So uh, anyway, we're delighted to have you folks as a part of our fellowship, and they're part of a growing number of young adults that, uh, first church I've been in in a long time where we've got two young adult Sunday school classes. You got the almost 30-somethings and the right out of college somethings, and uh, that's so exciting. Um, speaking of the almost college somethings, I do think that uh, there's an announcement, uh, recently college somethings, oh, here comes Kevin, finance manager, uh, banker, uh, to make an announcement. Thank you, sir. Good morning. Um, as a part of the cross-training Sunday school class, I'd like to invite every, uh, everyone here at Memorial to join us on the Cheerful Hearts Midwinter Dinner. It's going to be Sunday night, February 10th at 6 o'clock here. Um, tickets do go on sale starting today as the beautiful ladies back there are doing ticket sales, along with Mr. Jeter. <clears throat> Careful, only one of them's your wife. I... That's true, that's true. She's the prettiest one. Okay, okay, that's good. <laughs> A nursery will be provided by the youth, which we do ask that they will be receiving um, a love offering slash donation for their mission trip, because they're doing this as part of uh, uh, trying to get some money for their mission trip. Um, also, food will be provided for the children there. So please join us for a full night of fun, food, and fellowship. If you do have any questions, you can see any member of the class or you can contact Katie Jeter later. Um, look for more info going on. Um, also, men, this will be a great opportunity to earn a little extra brownie points for you. This will be a wonderful meal, and also we're going to have an auction at the end, so there will be some great things, and I know there's some Great prizes, especially for the uh, woman appeal. So be there. And also, I'd just like to say, um, truthfully, I think this is just one thing that we can do as a, uh, as a church family. Uh, and we can do many more events. But this is one thing I think that we can do together to open new doors and to strengthen our ministry here at Memorial. Thank you. They're going to be auctioning off unwanted husbands and boyfriends. If you uh, have a prayer request to share with us today, we invite you to do that. Our ushers have uh, index cards. If you raise your hand, we'll pass you a, uh, an index card, and we invite you to write something down that you want shared, and we will join you in your concern and prayer, um, knowing that you've already been thinking and praying about these things. Um, also, there will be an attendance pad passed around in a few moments. We invite you to register your attendance uh, here today. A lot happening around here these days. This afternoon at 5.15 to 7.15, there's a children's and youth roller skating party in Taylor's at the roller skating rink beginning at, as I said, 5.15. Uh, I think some youth are meeting here half hour earlier for rides, 4.45. That's the junior highs and senior highs. But this is for everybody from L, uh, how young? Preschool. If you can walk and put on roller skates, 
all the way up through high school if you can still walk and put on roller skates okay and chew chewing gum at the same time so and and supper will be provided as a part of this so we hope to see a big part of our church family there uh, also today um what else somebody else asked me no we got that announcement didn't we we got all the announcements well, if, as soon as you get your prayer request done, if you'll hold that up and let our ushers uh, pick those up again. Um, and we'll share those concerns together. Let us join together in a time of prayer. God, we give you thanks for this chance to be together. We thank you that you worked in our hearts in ways that caused us to want to get up and to come to church today. We thank you for that leading of your spirit that we might be together today. And we thank you that others are being led to other places of worship so that together we might join the chorus of heaven in offering you our thanks and praise this day. Thank you for all that you do for us every day from causing the sun to shine to causing us to have air to breathe to giving us love and shelter. And these are our special prayers for today. We pray for Paxton, a three-year-old with leukemia who has relapsed and we pray for his parents, Rob and Amy. Sue Hill, Lynn Pennington's cousin, whose family's been called in to make decisions as she is dying of pancreatic cancer. We pray for healing for Carl Reinick and Mike Berg. We pray for Ada Morrison, who's having back surgery on Tuesday. For a neighbor who lost her mother a week ago today for a child who lost a beloved pet, for troops in harm's way and their, and their families and loved ones. We give you thanks for Mark Johnson's continue continued recovery from a kidney disease. We pray for Aiden Bell, who has a brain tumor, for Barry Howell and his recent diagnosis with cancer, and for our grandmother, in declining health. Lord, we add our voices to those already praying for these people. Not that you need our added voices to be able to hear, but that we might share one another's burdens and that we might be participants with you in your will being done here on earth. We thank you for including us in your work Hear our prayers, O Lord, as we pray in the name of Jesus who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. and Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.
We're about uh, six weeks away from a very entertaining experience. I'll go ahead and give you some advance notice. The teenagers are going to get to shave Andy's hair this year, and I don't know what design they're going to come up with, but we ought to sell tickets. You know, I'm looking forward to this, Andy. You know, it's part of his annual balding experiment. <clears throat> Just wait about 20 years and it'll be for real, you know? <laughs> Sooner than that, I think. Uh, yeah, I think the rumor is mohawk just straight, so we'll see how it goes. I'm going to do it Palm Sunday night and then shave it before Easter, so if you come to Monday Thursday, you might see it, but besides that, I'm hoping not to be too public with it. Anyway, today's message comes during a time of year when the liturgical, liturgical church calendar can be kind of dead. Some of you may recall recently hearing sermons about Jesus' baptism or the trip that the young boy Jesus took to Jerusalem where he got separated from his parents. In our scripture lessons this time of year, we are leading up to the temptations of Jesus, which kind of start our Lenten season. And Lent, of course, leads us to Easter. And although the Lenten season is nowhere near short of stories about Jesus' public life and ministry, what we have about his childhood and adulthood up to the point he entered public life is, is a bit of a mystery. There's not a lot of information. However, today I would like for us to consider what isn't there. And that's kind of out of the norm for me. I normally stick to scripture and, and you can go off of what scripture says, but you don't need to make too many assumptions outside of that. But for the sake of today's lesson, I think we can learn a thing or two if we combine the scriptures we do have with um, what we know about the little town of Nazareth that Jesus spent the majority of his life in. Nazareth is a secluded city in the hills of Galilee, and Jesus uh, spent just about his whole life there, yet little is known concerning what Jesus' life was like in Nazareth. The Bible reveals minimal facts about the town and about Jesus' life there, before his public ministry, that is. And like I said, I want to look at all the scriptures that the Bible has to offer concerning Nazareth and Jesus' life before um, his public ministry really began and combine them with the knowledge that we have from archaeology and history and just see what the picture of Jesus' life on the whole looked like with that information added. We, we take three years of his life and that's all we have really and that's all we preach about and teach about and I mean you have Christmas but that's like you know only a couple of days of his life really and so what's in there there's got to be something it's the son of God there's got to be something that we can take from uh, what we do have so uh, I want us to consider what the life in Nazareth how it might have affected Jesus' public ministry and the personal relationships he had and what it has for us today, too, what, what, what it means for us today as Christians. Uh, so first, let's look at a verse that, that has kind of been used to talk about the popular opinion of Nazareth, um, and it's found in John 1, 45 through 46. It says, Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathaniel replied. Scholars have often disagreed about what Nathaniel's response really meant. The jury is still out, but there's no historical evidence to say that the town of Nazareth had a bad reputation. It's probably more likely that it just had no reputation at all. Um, 
Jesus was a man who came from a small city that was hidden among the hills. It was tucked away. There's little reason to think that any negative or, or social or political implications applied to those who lived in Nazareth. They're just, it's more likely that it just wasn't a known place and that something good coming from there was odd. Uh, Arthur and I have recently been talking some about uh, the possibility that the Zebedee brothers and family that you hear about that make up a large portion of Jesus' disciples um, might have actually been related to Jesus or even known him and they're from the same town that um, Philip and Nathaniel are from and, and if you can this is kind of wild and it's out there but just bear with me if Nathaniel had known or met Jesus beforehand then this can almost be seen as playful banter like saying Greer can anything good come from Greer that kind of thing so it could even be that if he had known him previously um, which there's a good chance because the town that they were from is also a small town as well if he indeed did know the Zebedee brothers. Just something to think about. Whatever the case, the people of Nazareth were plain people. They were simple people. It was not known. It really wasn't even on the map. Uh, they were not cosmopolitans like those who lived in Jerusalem or Greece. So, you know, Jesus was from Podunk. That's pretty much what it boils down to. If, if you can look here, I'm going to try and point to it. Well, my laser pointer is not working. Oh, there it is. There's Nazareth right there. And then Cana's up here. And, and actually, Nazareth is situated on a ridge, but it's in a depression in a ridge. And it, it had no walls. There was no need for it to be walled. It had no threat as far as military goes, and it was no threat to anyone else. But it, it was tucked away, kind of hidden. And Jesus would have been able to, cry, to climb the ridges on the north side and, and see the cities up to the north and also on the south. So it wouldn't have been that he, was, he didn't know about the outside world. It wasn't like that. Um, but, but it was tucked away. And so it was just small and, and small town and podunk. And, and that's where Jesus was from. And that, that's going to come into play later. So now that we know the small town environment that Jesus grew up in, our next scripture helps us to understand what Jesus might have done in Nazareth. And we're going to look at um, Luke 2, a few verses from there. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth, and the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. And then also, a few verses later, Luke 2, 51 through 52. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Now these are pretty much talking about his developmental years, these verses are. And they're similar, but the important thing is that Jesus was developing into a fine young man. Jesus probably started attending uh, school in the synagogue because this was Jewish custom. The teaching was probably just oral reading of scriptures. Therefore, it is a strong possibility that Jesus had the same education as the other young Jewish children in his village. This gives great importance to the scripture's word about him growing in wisdom. We don't usually think of children as growing in wisdom. And perhaps it's because the fact that God's grace was upon him that he was able to grow in wisdom. Jesus was a special young man. He obeyed his parents and grew in favor with man. He was well liked by the people around him. What happened, what happened during Jesus' adult life is somewhat of a mystery in Nazareth as well. 
Scholars have established some accurate pictures of what life in Nazareth would have been like for Jesus. It is widely accepted that Joseph, Jesus' father, was a carpenter. And this is supported in scripture in two places. That's my, that's a boy there. The scripture is uh, Matthew and Mark. And it, it, isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? And this is the scripture that we have that, that leads us to believe that Jesus was a carpenter. Um, you know, in Palestine you would generally follow in your father's footsteps and take on the trade of the family. And so it's very, you know, a, a very, it's very safe to assume that Jesus was a carpenter. And we've all grown up knowing that. But what did that mean? It was in this trade that Jesus was given the opportunity to form relationships with the people of Nazareth. He was on the same level as everyone else. He was a worker. And in order to grow in favor of man, he must have been a good worker. He must have done a good job. He made or repaired tables and chairs. He fixed plows and yokes and was paid wages for his work. He would have earned money, earned a living, and thus he dignified for all time manual labor. This line of work allowed Jesus to become popular with the people. And although the time which Jesus spent in Nazareth is shrouded with mystery, the effects of this time becomes more evident as the lifestyle which he led is carefully examined. What was Nazareth like for Jesus? This town away from the busy ebb and flow of life that allowed Jesus to concern himself only with knowing his father and learning the things he would need for the ministry he was about to embark on. Jesus most likely explored his surroundings frequently. There were palm trees and fig trees, pomegranates, fields of wheat and barley. Jesus was surrounded by wildlife. And at some point, it is assumed that Joseph, Jesus' father, died during his early adulthood, leaving Jesus to take care of his mother and his brothers and sisters and himself. And this developed character and responsibility in the young Jesus. The seclusion of the city, the natural surroundings, the environment he grew up in, the family issues he had to deal with created the man we call Jesus of Nazareth. Now that we have a decent picture of what Jesus' life was like in the silent years, let's move on and consider how they affected his public ministry. First, we know one thing for sure about Jesus' life in Nazareth. It pleased God. Shortly after his baptism, we have this scripture from Mark 1. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Now this statement is made by God about his son Jesus before his public ministry had ever begun. So God is saying he's pleased with what Jesus had done up to that point. He's pleased with the life Jesus lived in Nazareth. The elements of Jesus' ministry that were directly affected by his life in Nazareth were obviously his parables. Many of Jesus' parables were about wildlife and farming or nature. And this was the result of the secluded natural surroundings of the city he grew up in. The fact that Jesus made farm equipment also affected much of Jesus' teaching. He taught about a yoke, and he taught about farming and threshing. The fact that uh, Jesus teaches about the way God supplies clothing for the lilies of the field and food for the birds. These images must have been something Jesus was familiar with from his upbringing in Nazareth. And finally, Jesus sought the seclusion of the mountains for prayer. 
He would spend entire nights in the mountain praying once his ministry began. And it seems likely that this was a habit that he developed while he was in Nazareth. Let us also look briefly at what the effect the time Jesus spent in Nazareth might have had on the way he interacted with people during his ministry. We know that Jesus spent nearly all of his ministry with the working class. The people came to him or he went to the people. These were plain people. These were the same type of people that Jesus lived around his whole life. He worked with his own hands for his own living. And that brings the Son of God into living, pulsating life close to everyone who's had to work. He understands these people. He had worked with and for the same type of people in Nazareth. Jesus came from the ranks of the simple, from the same type of people, from among those who labored with the sweat of their brow. He had experienced their troubles, their poverty, and their labor. It was in the years of toil at Nazareth that Jesus learned how to relate to other people and what they were going through, particularly the working class. So what does all this mean for us today? My clicker must have not been working. Did y'all see those pictures? I'm sorry. What does all this mean for us today? What what does the effect that Nazareth had on Jesus' life have to do with us in Greer, South Carolina? Jesus' life in Nazareth provides Christians with an example to follow, an example of how to do your best where God has put you right now. Carpentry was the will of God for the most part of Jesus' life. Jesus did the work of a carpenter as best he could, and God was pleased with that. God placed him in Nazareth as a carpenter so that he could relate to people everywhere particularly the working class. Jesus did not live in the great cities or among the crowds of people. Most of his life was spent in quiet seclusion where the great crowd of men and women will always be. Jesus, the Son of God, the second member of the Trinity, was a carpenter, and he was the best carpenter. He had to have been. Christians who may think that their job is mundane or unproductive should look at Christ's example of how to follow God's plan, and do the job that you've been given to the best of your ability. Jesus taught Christians that toil is holy if the toiler be holy. It was no mistake that Jesus lived in a secluded city, experienced the death of a loved one, and earned his own living. It was God's plan and it was deeply necessary so that we could relate to him on so many levels. God knows what he's doing in your life and mine, and of course in Jesus. The cross is what everyone thinks of when they hear the name Jesus. And this is the way God intended it to be. Because the cross is what gives us salvation. Jesus died on the cross so that we might be saved. And I don't want to downplay that in any, any way. However, some hope for those who have already received salvation through the grace of God can be found in the hidden years at Nazareth. Jesus was a carpenter. And so it was safe to assume that the splinters that he received from the cross were the last of many, many splinters. Christians can look to these previous splinters, the ones from when Jesus was working for his own living, the one when he was a carpenter, for motivation to achieve God's applause for what they have done where God has placed them right now. Amen. It's now time for us to worship through the giving of our tithes and offerings. Ushers would please come forward.
faith in God now using the words of the Apostles Creed I believe in God the Father Almighty maker of heaven and earth and Jesus Christ his only son our Lord who was conceived by the Holy Spirit born of the Virgin Mary suffered under Pontius Pilate was crucified dead and buried the third day he arose from the dead he ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. <laughs> 
years as he was one who served God and pleased God in his occupation before ministry. May you go in peace and walk with this Jesus who is our Lord.